0: From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is
1: the Ask Christopher West Podcast.
0: Well, hello, everybody.
1: Yes, hi, listeners.
0: Welcome to another episode. You can tell Wendy is recovering from a little... Have a cold,
1: or or had a cold. You can hear it in my voice a little bit.
0: We picked something up on our pilgrimage in our travels. And that's just the way it is sometimes, but it knocked us out. (laughs) We got home from a two-week pilgrimage and spent another week recovering from whatever it was that sucked us. I'm still feeling it, too. Even as I speak, I can Mm -hmm. tell it in my voice. Yeah. So thanks for bearing with us, everybody, with our sore voices and (laughs) stuffy noses, such is life. But we promised you in our last episode we would share a little bit more about our experience in France. So, Wendy, I would like you to share what you have shared with me and various other friends. I've heard you talk about the blessing of being in Lourdes. Mm, yes. That? Just had Oh, that was my phone that just fell. Sorry for that strange noise, everybody. <laughs> yeah, tell us about your uh, yeah. experience.
1: Lourdes. So that's where we began. Yeah. And... Um, so Lords is uh, an apparition site where in 1850 something don't have my facts straight but
0: 50 wait the declaration of the immaculate conception was 1854 uh-huh and this i think was 3 or 4 years later yeah. 1858
1: maybe uh, yeah that might be right um, a a young woman named Bernadette um who yeah, didn't have any kind of theological background at all. Just a she's a, a peasant girl. A peasant girl, yeah. Had a, a totally unexpected encounter with a beautiful woman, who later, after um, Bernadette saw her, I think it was maybe the third time she saw her, she said, her she said, "I am the
0: Immaculate Conception." Yeah, she asked her who, her who she was, and yeah. she says, "I am the Immaculate Conception."
1: And at Bernadette in. In whatever Basque dialect Bernadette right, spoke, right, right. and she didn't even understand the words, she just repeated what she had heard because she didn't know what it meant. So, isn't that beautiful? Um, just the the miraculousness of that. The of just it's awesome. But Lords, the place where this happened is um, also the site of where there was a miraculous spring of water that um, came as a result of these um, apparitions, and many people have experienced healings there. So um, there have been pilgrims coming there ever since then, such that every night there are thousands of people um, walking outside the churches with um lit candles praying together in all different languages so powerful that was our very first day in France we got to go to that um candlelight walk and wow that was awesome just to be part of this uh enormous and beautiful expression of the body of Christ and honestly this is going to sound so funny well uh, I'll say this. First of all, the churches were very beautiful, and the artwork very beautiful there. So that really spoke to me. Um, But then a funny thing made me happy that makes Christopher not happy. (laughs) There are lots of little gift shops around Lourdes, like one after another, like just every little shop, except for the occasional little, like, you know, cafe or something. But all the shops are these Catholic gift shops that have a lot of silly things in them.
0: (laughs) Kitsch, as I call it, Catholic kitsch. Yeah,
1: so kind of cheesy. uh, You know, there are probably some nice things buried in there, but the impression you get when you look at it is sort of a little cheap and silly and that kind of thing. Um, But... What struck me was all of these gift shops are named after saints. In fact, it's not like Saint Joseph's shop or or uh, Saint Benedict's shop. It's just called Saint Joseph, Saint Benedict, Saint Whoever on the on the top. And I something about just walking along and seeing all these saints' names and lights as along the roads and lords and being with all those people, it just Uplifted my heart, like made me so happy to be Catholic in kind of a silly way because I know that very thing is an unhappy thing for Christopher. He's like, "Well, let uh. me explain." <laughs> Not it's, that very thing. It's the, it's
0: the shops. Yeah, it's unhappy because uh, you know people come from around the world and they think this is what Catholic art is. Right. Little cheap trinkets. <laughs> I mean, I want, I want, I want the church to shine. Yeah. And the trinket catholic art is that's what that's what gets under that's my skin right,
1: that's right but somehow i don't know i just in spite of myself or somehow the holy spirit was just speaking to me like the joy of communion the joy of faith the joy of belief the joy of coming together um i
0: don't know it really really blessed me i want to share something that was to me the Lord loving you, Wendy, in a very, very particular way.
1: Oh, I know what you're <laughs> you know going to say. where I'm going. Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> Wendy hates cold things. Like, she hates being cold. She hates especially cold water. Yeah. And for weeks, if not months, dear Wendy was nervous about going into the baths at Lord's. <laughs> Just so this questioning sp- whether I this should spring, do it. Spring, <laughs> you know, the spring that sprung up from from the the miracle that happened in eighteen fifty eight or whatever produced this spring of water that has brought healing to so many people. And part of the ritual of going to Lord's is going into the they've created these baths where they pump in the water from the from the the spring, and there have been countless miraculous healings. Well, Wendy was so nervous about this because she didn't know if she should do it because she's afraid to get cold. I love that kind of stuff. I'm like, get me in it. <laughs> and when we got there, we discovered that ever since COVID, you can't go in the baths anymore. They have this thing called the what do they call it? The ritual of water or the gesture. gesture of water, where they pour some water from a pitcher from the spring in your hands and you you splash your face with it and then you drink it. And so that's all it was. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> this was this was God in heaven loving on my wife. <laughs> That there was there was not she didn't have to be tortured by am I going to go in the baths or am I not going to go in the bath because it was just the gesture of water <laughs> the gesture <laughs> the gesture of water was a gesture of love you from God your father
1: one of those weird translations of something that sounds better in yeah, another right, language right, right. <laughs> oh, well it was a blessing and that we got to go together because if it had been a bath we would be separated right, right. so that was nice yeah. So, do you have any updates for us about the Institute? I
0: do. We have two courses coming up in person that I want to let people know about. Bill Dunahy is going to be teaching his very popular Way of Beauty course. And I will tell you that a lot of the students who have been through the whole certification program, when you ask them, what was your favorite of all eight courses, a lot of people say the Way of Beauty. Mm. So, that's a little plug. If you want to jump in... Uh, head first into theology of the body from the angle of art and beauty. Please, please consider coming to the Way of Beauty course. It's the first full week of January. Check out the link in the show notes. And then the first week of February, I think it starts the, you know, whatever overlaps, January to February, we have again for the third time our annual presentation of sexual integration and redemption. Which is a different offering for us. It's not so much a course as it is a a, a deep dive into inner healing. Uh, There are presentations, but the presentations are all about leading you into a small group. Uh, The Desert Stream Ministry team presents this course, and the small group work is where the real healing happens. I've known Andrew for over 20 years. He came into the Catholic Church in 2011, I believe, but he's been 40 years in this ministry bringing sexual healing and integration to people. Uh, highly recommend, especially if you've been exposed to theology of the body and, and you're excited about the vision, but you also realize you're running into issues in your life where it's hard to live it out because of certain wounds or, or brokenness. This is an experience you will not want to miss, so check that out out also in the show notes. And I can't help but give a plug for my latest book, which just came out a few weeks ago, called Eating the Sunrise, Meditations on Liturgy and Our Hunger for Beauty. And I just want to read uh, what it says on the back cover a little bit. It says, reading this book will... Or by reading this book, you will, is how it's expressed, you will discover the path that leads to the fulfillment of your most passionate longings. You will come to understand God's eternal plan for your life and the universe like never before. You will experience the Christian faith as an invitation to be seized and intoxicated by beauty. You will move beyond today's liturgy wars to discover the hidden beauty of the Mass. You will understand the basic problem of human existence and its ultimate solution— You will have your eyes open to the divine secrets revealed through your body. You will discover the surprising roots of today's gender confusion and the hope of overcoming it. You will encounter the glorious love song at the base of all things. Hmm, what does that mean? Well, you'll have to read the book to discover. You'll be able to recognize the diabolical deception that is robbing humanity of all it longs for. And you will come to rejoice in a beauty-first rather than a sin-first approach to growing in holiness. Just some of what you can expect by reading Eating the Sunrise. And if you're curious as to why I titled the book Eating the Sunrise, you'll just have to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Cliffhanger. Check out the uh, link in the show notes. And hint, 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 Christmas is coming up. Mm. Make a great stocking stuffer or Christmas gift for your loved one. Awesome.
1: I'd love to share with you a question from a patron. All right. This is from an anonymous patron.
0: Thank you, anonymous patron, whoever you are, for your monthly support of our work. So grateful to you.
1: Hi, Wendy and Christopher. I attended the Marian Mystery Course and TOB1 this year, and I'm a new listener. I love your podcasts because I learn so much from them, and that is such a blessing every time. I joined a new parish not long ago, I've been feeling uncomfortable since the beginning without knowing why. I didn't pay attention to that and got very involved, volunteered for various things, and started a youth group as well. But I kept experiencing this weird feeling. I started noticing that the priest was very relaxed when praying the Mass. There was also a LGBTQ ministry, which confused me. Then I recently found out that their approach was to be more, quote, liberal and modern. And a few weeks ago, I found out they invited a gay priest and that the pastor believes if you have good intentions, you can receive communion even if you're living in sin. When I found out about this, I couldn't help but cry and feel very, very sad. Mm -hmm. My question to you is, should I speak up and talk to the priest about this? Or should I just look for a different parish altogether?
0: Bless you, bless you, dear listener. Gosh, these, these situations can be very complex, and I don't know that there is a, a right or a wrong answer. Um, I, 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 I was struck especially by the line—can you reread it, Wendy, Wendy about—did um, I just call you Rendy? I think I just called you Rendy.
1: Reread Rendy. Reread
0: Rendy. Mm-hmm. Could you wee-weed, Wendy, please, the, the section where she says, uh, if you have good intentions, it's okay to... That oh, part. yes, yes.
1: The pastor believes that if you have good intentions, you can receive communion even if you are living in sin.
0: Okay, I, I want to just press into that for a moment. What does it mean to have good intentions when you continue to have bad intentions. If, if you are continuing like to justify your choice against God's plan for your life, that would be what you would call a bad intention, mm. right? How can you have a good intention when you have a bad intention? Now, sure enough, in all of us, the wheat and the weeds grow together. And I can look at all kinds of weeds in my life entangled with the wheat that's in my life. But I don't think that's what, what this priest is getting at. He, he's speaking out of two sides of his mouth when he says, if you have good intentions, you can receive communion, even if you are continuing willfully to contradict God's plan for your life in a serious way. What we are saying when we receive communion is, I am in communion with the Lord. I want to be in communion with the Lord. We're not saying I'm perfect. I got all my S-H-I-T together, and now I'm presenting myself for communion. That's not what we're saying. We're saying in my weakness, in my sinfulness, in my brokenness, which I acknowledge, I open that to God's mercy, and I want to change. I want to grow. I want to repent. I want to be purified. That's what we mean by living in communion. If you don't intend that, then you have bad intentions, uh, in the sense that your intentions are contrary to what the Eucharist means. So, my, my sense of what this patron and this questioner is asking us, or is what she, what she has stated about that discomfort she felt, I believe she's feeling that kind of fundamental contradiction that is kind of the spirit floating in the air at this parish coming from the pastor. The question was, should she say something or should she seek another parish? I don't have the answer to that. But I I do want to say this. If you do feel led to say something, and maybe you should, I don't think it should be in a confrontational manner. Uh, don't give the pastor the excuse to write you off. Don't give the pastor the excuse to say, oh, she's one of those Catholics, and I'm just going to ignore her because I'm one of these Catholics. I would get to know him if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, invite him to dinner. Uh, learn his story. Uh, let him know that you love him. Uh, and walk with him, not with an agenda but with a, a genuine desire to know who this man is. What what are his trials? What are his struggles? What are his doubts? What are his fears? What are his hopes? What are his desires? And God willing, in the course of that, you can share your hopes and desires and vision. And in that genuine, what I would hope would be a genuine back and forth, a genuine dialogue, a genuine conversation, you could begin to share what you have come to learn of what the church really teaches. So often, what people are rejecting, those who reject what the church teaches, they're not rejecting what the church really teaches. They are rejecting the caricature of what the church teaches. If you're familiar with my work, uh, you've heard me talk about the difference between the fast food approach, the starvation approach, and the banquet approach, right? Most people think Christianity is a starvation diet approach to life, meaning your hungers are bad, your desires are evil, you need to repress all that and follow the rules. If that's what Christianity has to offer, well, forget it. I don't want anything to do with it. And this is why we can, we can be very quickly convinced by what the culture is holding out to us, which I call the fast food approach, right? Right just follow your desires wherever they lead you and seek immediate gratification for them that's why i call it fast food immediate gratification for your desires well you're going to learn the hard way you can die from starvation but you can also die from food poisoning and he is responding i would i would guess this pastor is responding to that whole f- starvation approach with a fast food approach rather than with an invitation to the authentic banquet that truly nourishes the deepest and most genuine desires of the human heart. But if the only two choices are starvation and fast food, the fast food is much more attractive. But if we, in our witness, can become witnesses to the banquet, then the banquet becomes much more attractive than the fast food. I'm guessing that's what's going on in this pastor's heart. Uh, it I would be a long road to walk that journey with him, but you may be called to do just that. So that that would be my thought and suggestion.
1: I was looking over the question, and I, I couldn't find if it really was clear that this was a, a woman or a man asking the question, although I kind of had that Feeling that it might have been a woman.
0: Uh, yeah, I assumed it was Isn't a woman. That, I don't know it why I assumed it was a my woman. My
1: feminine voice reading it, but um, I was really moved by um, the reaction when I found out about this. I couldn't help but cry mm-hmm. and feel very, very sad. I think there's just so, so much truth in those tears and in that sadness. So, such a witness to the brokenness that you're encountering that's being um, disguised as the gospel, you know, that yeah. is just tragic and painful. And um, if there's a certain betrayal in it, like when we come to the, to a Catholic parish, we're coming to the Catholic church. It should be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. It should be gathering people to be, Healed by his sacraments, that's what it should be. And you've been—I I think there's a feeling of both of being deceived. But I think with your heart having come to to be one and the Mary course, there's deeper stuff. It's not just about you and well, these people are you know have deceived me. But I think really like a weeping. With the Lord yeah um, over just this um, very painful situation and i I find it very painful too, and I, um, I don't know, as Christopher said a few times in his answer, you may be called to this, it could be this, and you know we don't know your story or the the uh, parish's story enough to say more than. Maybe, but I I sense your intercessory heart here um, and desire for all people to know the truth that set you free you know that's that's why you're weeping because here we are wasting our time getting together uh, for for preaching that's not preaching a gospel for. Quote ministries that are not bringing true healing. Like, that's just so sad.
0: Can you speak, Wendy, into that intercessory heart? I think you're mm-hmm. putting your finger on it right there that that weeping itself is intercession. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think um, sometimes we have this feeling like to intercede means maybe I need to say these specific prayers of a novena a certain number of days or, um, but. I think um, when we look at, like, that's a physical bodily response to um, the spiritual reality, the state of Christ's church. And our hearts responding with pain, when we are just offering our hearts to the Lord in those pains, that is prayer from from a sometimes from a wordless place, from a deep, deep place in the heart that um, can ascend to the Father and um, just be an offering with Christ on the cross. It's a it's a unifying experience with the prayers of the saints. That um, is very deep and powerful and important. And sometimes just like look, spending time experiencing that and not rushing ahead. I'm speaking to myself a little bit mm. uh, to sort of make it go away or distract ourselves, but to just stay there um, is a profound way to pray for people that need our prayers.
0: yeah, when when we are reacting against something, like I my suggestion, my my guess is that this priest has had some really bad experiences of that starvation approach and a kind of legalistic or pharisaical approach to the faith. We can really begin ministering to people with whom we don't agree when we're willing to affirm something that they are rightly acting against, but then we can demonstrate there's another way out of that. Uh, from going to the, from the starvation approach to the fast food approach is two, two sides of the same messed up coin. There's a way out of this. There's a paradigm shift for us all here into the gospel. And to affirm what he's rightly reacting against, but then invite another look, another gaze on what the real solution is, I think can be very fruitful. Bless you, dear listener, and thank you again for being a patron. So grateful to you.
1: Our next question is from a listener named John William.
0: Hello, John William.
1: Hey, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you for your great work. I listen to your podcast every day. I still have a lot of catching up to do as I just started after World Youth Day. And I've started reading Christopher's book, Fill These Hearts. But I have a question for you too. I have had problems with pornography for a long time. I know how destructive it can be, and I'm working hard to improve. Today, I finally went to confession for it, and it was a freeing and healing experience. Your podcast helped me realize that the longing or yearning I feel right before I fall is the same yearning for the true love that Mm. only God can give me.
0: Preach it, John William. Preach it. You're right on it.
1: That I have to stop trying to hold it in and starve myself, but that I need to give it to God. Whoop, 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 whoop. I know this now, but how
0: do I do this?
1: Do you have any practical tips for me that I could use?
0: Okay, John William, bless you. You are already on the trail, and abundant graces have already been poured out on you, John William. Your, your very ability to recognize that the desire itself is a misdirected—the desire for porn is a misdirected desire for a genuine good— and the genuine good that you are desiring is union with God forever. This is what we are made for. This is what we yearn for. And we need to learn in our letting go of our idols. This is what porn is. It is an idol. There is, there is going to be a certain death, right? There's going to be a certain letting go. And it's going to feel like you're falling into a void, like there's a nothingness. And the temptation, as you're falling into what feels like a void of nothing, this is, "I want my idol, I want my idol, I want my idol, I want that little satisfaction. give it, bring, bring, bring it back, bring it back. There's where the death is, and this is where faith comes in.? Right? The idols demand no faith. right? The idol's right there. you can take it, you're in control of it. You can satisfy yourself with that idol whenever you so darn please, or you can get the semblance of satisfaction. That's all you get from an idol the semblance of satisfaction of the desire. You don't get the real satisfaction of the desire because that idol is not what you're made for. But behind every idol is the desire for the true God gone awry. And the life of prayer is precisely the setting of our desires aright, the untwisting of what's been twisted up. The psalm today, this was the psalm from Mass today, and it struck me really powerfully that this is the path out of our misdirected desires. This is Psalm 63. O God, you are my God whom I seek. John William, if every time you are confronted with that temptation to look at porn, what the porn is saying to you is, I am your God who you seek. I am your God whom you seek. Come here. Bring your desire to me. We all worship something. We worship whatever we think is going to satisfy our desire. That's what we worship. Taking your desire to porn is false worship. It's idolatry. But listen to how the psalmist here is coming out of his own false worship into true worship. Oh, God, you are my God whom I seek. Can, can you hear the moment of conversion right there? It's not, oh, porn, you are the God whom I seek. It's not, oh, money or fame or honor or whatever, you know, fill in the blank, whatever our idols are. It's, it's this psalmist is realizing, oh, my God, what I've been desiring all along is the real God. Oh, God, you are my God whom I seek. And then listen to this next line. For you, my flesh pines, and my soul thirsts. For you, the living God, my flesh pines, my soul thirsts. This is a wake-up. This, this psalmist is realizing, oh my gosh, all these hungers, all these yearnings that I feel in my body and in my soul, the object of my desire, my flesh pines, my soul thirsts for Porn? No, for the living God. Thus have I gazed on you in the sanctuary. Okay, okay, let's unpack this. In theology of the body terms, why, John William, why do you think the temptation is so strong to go to the human body with our yearning for God? Precisely because God has come to us in the human body body and through the body of a woman, right? Deep in our inmost being, we intuit, we intuit the gospel truth, we intuit the truth of the incarnation, that we will find God within the mystery of woman. This is not a lie. This is the truth. But the enemy gets his hands on that truth and twists it into something pornographic, The human body is not pornographic by nature. By nature, the human body is theographic. It reveals, it reveals the mystery of God. Say it again. The body is not pornographic. The body is theographic. Woman's body. If Christmas is real, then this is true. Woman's body has become God's sanctuary. In the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a woman. Pregnant Mary is the icon of everything we desire. And this is what the psalmist is coming to realize. Now, the psalmist wrote this however many centuries before the incarnation took place. But but it proves my point that we have this intuition It'll come to fulfillment when Christ comes, that the body is the temple, the, and the womb of woman is the sanctuary, the dwelling place of the Most High God. So we can read this in light as we're meant to. This is how the church reads the Psalms. Everything in the Psalms is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Thus have I gazed toward you, my God, whom I seek, my God, for whom my flesh pines and my soul thirsts. Thus have I gazed toward you in the sanctuary." What does this mean? In and through a true devotion to the woman, Maria, Mary, Miriam, the dwelling place of the Lord, the sanctuary of God. John William, I'm telling you, in and through, true devotion. And I have to say the word true because there's so many false, hyper, pious, angelistic uh, ridiculous pharisaical nonsensical inhuman disincarnate devotions to Mary where we project all our puritanical fear of the body onto Mary no 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 Mary loves her body because her she knows her body brings God to the world she loves her womb she well uh, here's here you, here you go John William meditate on on the mysteries of the rosary. What what what's the first one? The incarnation. Mary opening her womb. Glory be to God, to the most high God, where she becomes the sanctuary of the living God, the birth of the Lord. Meditate on the birth of the Lord. Where what did Joseph witness? St. John Paul II says, Joseph was an eyewitness to the birth of the Lord. What did he witness? This is, you could say, these are the words of Joseph. This is what happened when Jesus was born. Thus have I gazed toward you, my God, in the sanctuary. What happened in the birth of the Lord? The Holy of Holies opened up. The sanctuary of the living God opened up and God came forth. Silence all humanity. This is, I think, the prophet Zephaniah. Silence, silence all humanity as the Lord stirs forth from his temple. There was Joseph seeing this scripture fulfilled. The Lord was stirring forth from his temple. John William, this is what you are looking for. Thus have I gazed toward you in the sanctuary. Why? To see your power and your glory. That which has been in our minds and our hearts, a pornographic understanding of the body. It becomes a theographic understanding. Now I've, I've already said a lot and I'm cognizant of the time here. So what I'm going to do, John William, and for all the other listeners, I'm going to ask our producer, Juan, to put in the show notes for this episode a few links from our YouTube channel where I get into how to turn our misguided erotic desires into a prayer. Juan, you will know the uh, videos I'm talking about. There's some of the most popular videos on our YouTube. There's a few of them. So, Juan, I'm going to leave it to you to put two or three, whatever they, we have, where I, I dive into this in more detail. Put those links, Juan, in the show notes so that the listeners can go there if they want to hear more.
1: I just want to rejoice with John William for all that God has been up to in his life, that whatever inspired you to go to World Youth Day, whatever inspired you to... um I assume go to the Made for More event at World Youth Day to be reading and uh, reflecting and chewing on and taking in. What did Jesus say? The truth will set you free. The truth is setting you free, and you experienced it in going to confession, as you said, and I just want to rejoice with you. Um, The the Lord is at work in your life, and it is— Awesome and exciting, um, and I I think that your your comments about your yearning for God's love, mm. Mm. yearning for God's love, yearning like that is just a deep realization that um, isn't something that you just kind of put on a to do list. Oh, let me get in touch with my yearning for God's love. Check, you know it's it's deep. And it's going to be your, your journey is going to continue to reveal how the truth can set you free. If you are willing to remind yourself in every kind of way that the true yearning is to be loved and that porn offers you nothing, nothing um, but harm. And that's not what we long for. Um, I know, Christopher, your videos are going to speak very directly to John William, but I just wanted to rejoice with you.
0: I know uh, this may sound weird, but sometimes I I hear Bono in my head. This is just the way the Lord works with me through music. And right now I'm seeing this image of Bono in a concert that I love to watch. I have it on DVD. And he says, he says, um, Put your hands in the sky, put your hands in the air. If you're the praying kind, then turn this song into a prayer. But the way I'm hearing it is, uh, John William, when you are in the throes of a temptation to look at porn, this is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing Bono as Jesus saying Mm. to you. Put your hands in the sky, put your hands in the air. If you're the praying kind, then turn your yearning into prayer. Mm. That's it right there. Put your hands in the sky, put your hands in the air, get your hands out in the shape of a cross, conform your body to the very shape of Christ on the cross and let him turn that yearning into a prayer. Praise him for your yearning and say, Lord, I feel in my heart twisted desires that, are trying to convince me that what I'm looking for is porn, and I give that to you. Come into that yearning as I'm feeling it. Confess it as you feel it. Say it as you feel it. And say, Lord, come in and show me what I'm really looking for. And he will. He will. And if that Psalm, Psalm 63 helps you, pray into that. Let what has been pornified become glorified. Mm. But for that to happen... A death and a resurrection is necessary. We need, as JP2 says, a radical transformation of these images and ideas and desires. But the journey is real. You're already on it, brother. Keep Mm. going.
1: Our next question is from Connor. Hey, Connor. Thank you so much for all you do. I began to be explained commentary on man and woman. He created them about two months ago. And it has been wonderful.
0: Wow. He went for the thick honking tome of mine. (laughs) That was part of my uh, doctoral dissertation work. It's like a, if you don't know, it's like a 600 page commentary. That's the one he's reading. Good for you, brother. He says, I'm I'm glad to know actually people read (laughs) read that.
1: (laughs) The book, this podcast, and other resources have been beacons of great life in my growing relationship
0: with the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
1: A difficulty that seems to often find its way back into my prayer is taking my spot as the bride in the spousal analogy, mm-hmm. yep. since I'm a male. I think about past and current desires that I've had with certain women, and the thought that those desires stem from a desire to know and love the Lord are beautiful. How can I, as a man who has a natural calling to be a groom to a woman, accept and embrace my role as a bride in relation to the Lord. It feels as if it would be easier for women to receive and be a bride to the Lord, given the fact that's the role they play in marriage on earth. Is that true?
0: Yeah, I think it is easier. I think it is easier for women to enter into that spousal imagery. Uh, I'd say there's no doubt it's easier for women to do so. We have this hump to get over And it is difficult, and it does plague men. Uh, It has plagued me. Uh, I have thought, you know, as countless men do when they, they try to enter into this imagery, that to be in that posture of the bride before God is somehow a threat to my masculine identity. The consolation I have come to and I return to over and over and over again whenever I'm confronted with that feeling, wait, 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 I'm a man. I'm not going to be a brat. What? What? That's a threat to my masculine. No, no, no. Jesus is what it means to be a man. The ultimate male, the ultimate masculine is revealed in the man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself within the Trinity for all eternity is receptive to the love of the Father. The key here is not so much the term bridal as it is the term receptivity, right? Speaking in bridal terms, speaking in theology of the body terms, it is obvious that the woman's body is the one that bespeaks receptivity, right? The very anatomy of the marital embrace is that the man pours out the seed and the woman opens to receive that seed. So, when we look at it in these terms, theology of the body, in relationship to God, God is always the bridegroom, and we are always the bride. An image that I have used with men to try to help them get to the same truth while acknowledging the, the, the difficulty for most men of being in that bridal posture. I say, okay, guys. If that bridal imagery scares you, I get it, been there, it scares me too at some level. Let's just go with this, because it takes us to the same place with a different image. Jesus is the quarterback, and who are you? You're the wide receiver. And your goal in the game of life is to get yourself wide... Open. Wide open. The goal in the game of life Jesus is the quarterback, you're the wide receiver, and your mission is to get yourself wide open, right? Same imagery, and we're still in a masculine key, okay? So so there's nothing nothing wrong with that. If that's helpful to you, then go there. But as you stay there, as you stay with Jesus as the quarterback and you the wide receiver, and you, you find your peace there, eventually you'll also be able to find your peace in the bridal imagery. And you will realize the real goal here is receptivity. And receptivity is not a threat to my masculinity. It's the only way I can become truly masculine. Because the true masculine is that giving of the gift, right? But as creatures, we cannot give anything we have not first received, right? Jesus himself for all eternity is receptive to the love of the Father. So when Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, he's showing us that true masculinity can only come from first being receptive. So I'd like to quote here something from C.S. Lewis, and I want to give a shout out to my colleague, Bill Dunahy, for pointing this out to me. This is from C.S. Lewis's work, That Hideous Strength. And he says in there, he makes a very important distinction that there's a difference between male and female and masculinity and femininity, right? Male and female are biological, but masculinity and femininity are cosmological. They go the whole way up and down the reality of existence. And even they they go up Beyond nature, as C.S. Lewis would put it, beyond nature and into the realm of the divine. Because what is the cosmos? If masculinity and femininity go up and down the ladder you know, on the scale of things in the, in the universe, well, that's a reflection. The universe, the whole universe, is a reflection of something of the inner mystery of God. So it's, it's wrong to speak of maleness and femaleness in God. But at some level, it's appropriate, with, with all appropriate distinctions, right? God is, is not in our image. We are in his image. But it is right to recognize, especially when we're talking about God's relationship to us, God is not male, but masculine. Now, we have to also add this. In the incarnation, God became, God's masculinity in relation to us was incarnate as a male. It had to be because maleness is the sacrament of an eternal spiritual reality we can call masculinity, right? We embody as human beings, whether you are male or female, we embody femininity in relation to masculinity. So all that is to say, to give the background, so, so here's what C.S. Lewis says in That Hideous Strength. He says, we, we experience what is male on the biological level. But the masculine, none of us can escape. What is above and beyond all things, speaking of God, C.S. Lewis says, is so masculine that we are all feminine in relation to it. That's the key. What is above and beyond nature, what is above and beyond, what, what is eternal, is so masculine in that sense of the giver of life, That all of creation is feminine in relationship to it. When you enter into that, Connor, you will not fear to recognize and to say, in that sense, I'm a bride. And from there, from accepting that, you will live your masculinity in its fullness. Because what you will be giving as a man is what you have received. Then and only then can a man fulfill... What St. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the Church. I
1: want to just agree with what Connor observed at the end of his question, that it's probably easier for women. And I wouldn't say that's true for every woman, because sometimes in our woundedness, we are afraid to be a bride, um, even though it corresponds, you know, to our biology. There are other aspects of our story or our observations of culture, our relationships, our just inner world that can create these barriers. And um, so it is part of every human being's journey with the Lord to um, learn to be receptive, to give up that self-reliance, that um, control that is part of our fallenness, and to, to walk in the garden with the Lord, like it says in in Genesis, like to to have that peace of being the creature receiving from our Creator and um, entering into the communion that that makes possible. Um, that's a journey for all of us, but I do think that you know, sort of the imagery as you we were talking about earlier, Christopher certainly can be easier for a woman. Um, I do love the other images, and I think there are more to be found. I think each you know, listener in your own journey, as you look at this, like the church is the bride of Christ as a whole, but I also need to find in my relationship with Christ how How I can be receptive, I think there are many other beautiful images that people may stumble upon um, that really help their hearts to understand how to trust the Lord, to desire Him, to make space for Him, to open up, and um, to experience His infilling in powerful ways.
0: Amen to that. Uh, I'll, I'll add, because I think you put your finger on something so important here, Wendy. This this rejection of the feminine or the fear of being feminine in relation to God is not only something men experience. You, you were so right to point out that women experience the same fear because this is what we rejected about our humanity with original sin. We came to believe, because of Satan's lie, that God is not a loving bridegroom I don't even want to say the word because I hate it so much, but this is what Satan wants us to think. God is not a loving bridegroom. God is an R A P I S T. That's what Satan wants us to think about God. Because if we come to think of God that way, we will not want to be receptive to that. And if God is who Satan says he is, we are right to reject our bridal posture because we would be abused. We would be dominated, controlled, and horrifically abused if that's who God is, in R-A-P-I-S-T. And I'm utterly convinced the reason so many young women these days are rejecting their femininity to the point where they want to be men and they're chopping off their breasts and injecting their bodies with testosterone is because their image of femininity and masculinity has come from porn, where, where men... Horrifically abuse women, and if this is what it means to be a woman, well, forget that. I don't want to be that. Uh, if if life is a game of king of the mountain and who's on top and who's on the bottom, then I want to be the masculine. I don't want to be. I don't want to be dominated and controlled and raped. God, I hate that word, uh, and rightly so. But that's exact that's how hellish Satan is. I mean, of course he's hellish. He's from hell. But that's how that's how. That's his end game, is to get us to think God wants to R A P E us. Mary is the one who pronounces and announces to the whole world that's not who God is. She is the one who remained feminine and open before God and was raised to the highest heights of heaven to participate in the eternal ecstasy and bliss of the Trinitarian life. Mary, teach us, teach us what it means to be bride. Teach us all what it means. Teach us the way of trust that you learned. Teach us how you resisted the lies of the enemy that God wants to dominate, control us, and R-A-P-E us. You knew he is eternal love and eternal bridegroom. And although you faced all the same temptations we do, you resisted them and you stood firm in the truth. Teach us that way, Mary. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's episode. If you were and you know somebody who you think could also be blessed, would you please hit that share button and help us expand our global community of listeners? We'd be so grateful to you. May you know it in your bones deeply. And this is the truth of it. This is living out that bridal reality. You come from God in his self-giving love. And because you're made in the image of God, you too are called to be a gift. You are a gift, and you are called to be a gift. And Wendy, I screwed up your line because I'm kind of saying it myself, but you <laughs> let's can say so, it anyway.
1: Let's become what we are.
0: Amen. Woo! Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.